Are You Just Watching is brought to you by D. Joseph Design from djosephdesign.com. That is actually me. I run that site, I run that company, and I'm offering to design a website for you because you have a message that deserves to look great. So make your next message look or sound great by hiring me through djosephdesign.com and you get 10% off your first invoice if you mention the podcast. Are You Just Watching is also brought to you by dkeendesigner.com where you can get book layout designs so you can have your book laid out and it looks really fancy take it to the publisher and they'll just say whoa i want to publish this i haven't read it but it looks great and well no guarantee as to the success of just that but it will look a lot better <laughs> so check it out at dkingdesigner.com and that's the last that you're going to hear of my voice because as you can tell by the title this episode is about twilight and i'm a guy so this is when i'm going to leave and leave you to our other co-host to take care of this. You Just Watching? Initial Reactions 11, The Twilight Saga Eclipse. I'm Eve Franklin. And I'm Chris Jones. And welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. We have chased Daniel Lewis off mic today because he doesn't want to talk about this movie, strangely enough. (laughs) Where are you joining us from today, Chris? Seattle, Washington. It's raining again. (laughs) Really? <laughs> yeah, I hear it happens that that happens a lot here. <laughs> well, we both uh, separately saw the movie in a midnight preview, so we're both sleep deprived. Severely. <laughs> <Sleep deprived. laughs> what did you think, Chris? I thought it was fabulous. Eclipse was my favorite book of the whole saga, and so I was coming in pretty much expecting the movie to be a total flop. I tend to be pessimistic that way, especially when it comes to my favorite books of anything. Mm -hmm. But I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. I agree. It was a wonderful movie. It had uh, actually a surprisingly good soundtrack. Uh, It was uh, by uh, Outward Shore, the same composer who did the soundtrack for the Lord of the Rings movies, which we're both big fans of. And it um, was a subtle soundtrack because there was also a lot of rock music in in the movie, but oh, it was still quite pretty. So let's just take a minute and listen to it. I have to say that Going to a midnight preview is not something I actually like to do with movies very often because you typically get there with a lot of really crazy fans. And I have to say that the um, Twilight fan base can be a bit crazy. (laughs) Uh, I Go ahead. Oh, it it just uh, just an entire theater with 14 auditoriums completely sold out and the vast majority of them were female. It was a it was a crazy, crazy night. How about for you? 
Uh, it was pretty insane. I went with a group of people, and so right before the movie started, like, I don't know, half hour before the movie started, uh, we all decided to go get Icy's because I'm addicted. <laughs> and so we were standing out in the absolutely slammed, crazy, crazy slammed lobby, and we were in line for a good 15 minutes maybe even 20 minutes like we and we were beginning to go well how much do we want this icy the movie's gonna start soon <laughs> but i was actually really surprised by the lack of strangely attired people like most of the people at the theater uh had twilight t-shirts or whatever but i didn't see any fakely pale people with blood dripping out of their mouths. Oh, and yeah, you know, I that, didn't see that, any that of that all... either. Yeah, it was Twilight shirts. I did notice when I first came in the theater, it was this trio of girls that were at the concession stand. They were standing in the wrong order because they each had letters from the word Twilight on, on blazoned on the back of their shirts. And one of them was T-W-I, one was L-I-G, and the other one was H-T. So when they stood together, they were supposed to spell Twilight, but they were standing in the wrong order. <laughs> I just, oh, that would bother me. me. <laughs> it's like, hey, ladies, you need to get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then, of course, when they started the I went for a combo, so I got to see Twilight and New Moon again before they played Eclipse, and the uh, the manager of the theater came in and wanted to know uh, who was Team Edward and who was Team Jacob, and so he, he kind of got the crowd a little bit riled up before beforehand, and I had to scream, of course, that I was Team Jasper. I don't... They probably didn't understand <laughs> that at all, but... <laughs> I'm Team Alice, so I'm... I'm- I'm all about how awesome Alice is. And she actually got to be awesome in this film. In the last couple ones, she wasn't even really around. Or when she was, she just wasn't quite as wonderful as she is in the books. But in this one, she was spot on. I was pleased. <laughs> well, uh, we we are hope- trying to discuss the movie at this point without giving any- away any spoilers. I'm assuming that most people who are going to listen to this podcast have probably, if not seen the movie yet, have read the book. And uh, just for the sake of discussion without spoiling the story, uh, do you think that this movie stuck close to the book? I think it was, it's definitely the closest to the book out of all three of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I, I think it was pretty much like reading the book for me the way the tone was set it it felt like i was reading the book a lot of the conversations they pulled out verbatim Mm -hmm. like literally i got home that night and it was still wired so i couldn't read so i pulled out my copy of eclipse and was just flipping through my favorite scenes and Mm -hmm. it would word for word and it was perfect and it just i was very excited i was they didn't have yeah they didn't have everything in the movie that was in the book, but mm-hmm. it's like a 60-page book, so that can't happen. <laughs> the thing that but, I had seen was a teaser that had shown one of the truncated scenes where they had squashed, like, multiple things together. And mm-hmm. I was really, going into the movie, I was really upset that they would, you know, have put those two things together in the movie. Uh, the teaser scene was of uh, uh, Jacob meeting them in the schoolyard and then yeah, Bella getting yeah. on the motorcycle and riding off with Jacob, which did not happen in the book. And it bothered me that they stuck it that way in the movie. But of course, they were sh- trying to shove together like five scenes covering several days all at once. Right. 
And I understood after I finished seeing the movie that it, they, they kept true to the important parts of the book. And I guess they made time for that by scrunching other parts. Yeah. Um, I was actually... I, the other reason why I was expecting the movie to be bad was that the director was David Slade. And the other, the big movie that David Slade is known for is 30 Days of Night, which is a vampire horror film. <laughs> so I was expecting 30 Days of Night to be all up in my twilight, and I was not going to appreciate that. But he did a really good job keeping true to the story and keeping the important parts in. And the stuff that he had to shift around and cram together to make more sense. I, I feel like he did that in a fair way. Yes. I was very pleased. And he, he covered the book in entirety. He didn't really leave anything out. In fact, I think he put some things in there that weren't in the book. So that was kind of interesting. He, the really cool thing about it is that he did get to cover some of the off-scene action that mm -hmm. you don't get to see in the books because it's from Bella's perspective and she wasn't there. Right, exactly. So that was really cool. And that's where a lot of the, the action came in because Bella misses most of that. But <laughs> you didn't see it. And I wasn't upset because I was like, well, this is what happened in the book. We were just told about instead of actually getting to see it. So that was exciting. And I think they incorporated uh, Stephanie Meyer's new nov novella in there too. I think that was why she mm -hmm. she published the novella was to try and get that other side of the story. Yeah. And they incorporated that into the film. Now from now on, I don't promise that we will not ruin the movie for you because from now on we are going to actually talk about parts of the, of the movie. So spoil alert from here on. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad I survived without spoiling anything. <laughs> I was concerned. Well, the, um, the first scene in the movie is actually, as we were just discussing, an, an out-of-book scene because it was, uh, it, you get to see Riley become a vampire in Seattle. And right. that was uh, kind of an interesting way to start the movie because it kind of built in that horror aspect that some of the the other two movies really didn't have until further in. Right. Right. It did definitely raise a notch in the tension. And you're like, okay, so I get to see all this stuff that's happening in Seattle. And this is really quite horrible. And so you, you get more concerned about your characters in Fork. Because if you've read the book, you know that they're coming for them. And right. if you have, you're just like, well, this is still bad. <laughs> and so that was, and it wasn't, there wasn't too much of that. They didn't go overboard with with the what was going down in Seattle. And which you didn't, I they kept it very low key so that the younger audience could watch the movie without, you know, having right. blood and guts going everywhere or whatever. And that, even the feeding scene wasn't all that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually I thought the action was really cool. And I know that I'm a girl and probably easily impressed by that kind of stuff. <laughs> But the way that they showed the vampires fighting each other with them cracking like granite, like for all of the violence in the movie, it was really, really bloodless. Yes. And I don't think that's very interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you even see someone's head torn off and, and it's all done just as a, you know, like... You like know. a statue breaking. Yeah, like a statue breaking. So it was very, very clean. Um. There's one subject that's probably dealt with the most in this movie than any other subject, and it's marriage. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it starts the movie. There's a discussion at marriage at the beginning. There's another discussion at the end. It's, it's kind of discussed throughout. And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about Stephanie Meyer's 
in in twi- the whole Twilight saga is how carefully she deals with the topic of sex and marriage. And mm-hmm. I really felt like there was a very positive reaction from the crowd in the theater about that as well. They were um, one of the first things that Bella comments on in the movie is I, I wrote this quote down. I tried to take notes. It's so hard to take notes in a dark theater, but yeah. Um, one of the first comments she made, which, uh, Edward and her were discussing marriage, and she said, well, marriage is just a piece of paper. And, of course, coming at it from a Christian worldview, we know that marriage is so much more than a legal agreement. It's not, it's not something that, you know, you just agree to, oh, you know, let's get hitched. It's, it, there, yeah. It, it, there's so much more to it. I have the scripture um, that this is actually a statement that Jesus made. He said, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And Mm -hmm. then they said to him, why didn't did Noah's command to give a certificate, certificate of divorce and to put her away. And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. That's from Matthew nineteen four through 9. And I think in this movie, marriage is really respected in that way. Yeah. Um, you don't really get that respect for marriage from Bella, but from where she's coming from, it makes sense. Yes. Well, I mean, a broken home. All all of the other Collins, every single one of them, with the exception of Emmett and Jasper, who don't mention it at all. Right. They all are, they they all are very much about, this is the way it's done. Mm Mm-hmm. You you get permission you get married you have kids like and that's the order that it's done in and marriage was very respected and very much a significant occurrence (laughs) and so and and the way they juxtapose that with what bella felt what experienced with her parents getting divorced when she was so little that um it 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 in the movie it makes I think it made her arguments against marriage look very childish just because there was, there are just so many people who were all about, yes, marriage is important. Marriage is, you know, is, this is how it goes and you don't get divorced and, you know, kind of not a happily ever after thing, but kind of with that idea Mm -hmm. that you get married and that's it. You stay married and that's the way it works. And, I mean, even Charlie, uh, Bella's dad, didn't seem that down on marriage. Like, his fell apart, and he never got remarried, but he, he never once bashed the institution as a whole, whereas Bella was all about bashing the institution. And she even asked him that question. She's like, well, are, why haven't you ever remarried? And I don't even think that discussion was in the book. I don't remember, recall it being in the book. But I thought it was interesting that they put it in the movie that she had to confront her father about the whole idea of, you know, why didn't you ever remarry? Which then led to that awkward conversation <laughs> that was in the book. Um, fabulous, fabulous conversation. Oh, fabulous conversation where uh, her father kind of wants to have the sex talk 
um, with his, <laughs> his daughter, and she doesn't want to have that discussion with her father. And I have to say, when she finally come out and blurted to her father, Dad, I'm a virgin, <laughs> the entire theater erupted in applause. And I was just so happy to hear that, that that, that positive vibe for the abstinence message was received, yeah. you know. Which that that vibe got killed a little bit when in the next scene she goes to the Collins house and it's her and Edward and so she tries to seduce him. <laughs> so that I felt, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the sequence that it happened in the book, but I, I just, I felt like that kind of undercut some of the gay abstinence vibe there just because she then promptly went and tried to lose the- <laughs> Yeah, and and you know it's it's interesting that you know Edward stayed firm because he she says I'll marry you I'll marry you I'll do whatever you want if you will just have sex with me before you make me a vampire and and he's like not wanting to do it at all and and then he's like okay all right I can agree to try but after you marry me <laughs> yeah and and I think that and then she, she of course said it's not that's a it's not a modern concept. That's an ancient concept. And so it kind of reverts back to that idea that what the Collins, their values of marriage are outdated. Mm-hmm. And, but yet she agrees to it. And, and I think in the book, it's not in the movie, but in the book later on, she understands the value of waiting. And I think that that is um, just, just a, such an important message of this movie that you wait, you wait. Yeah. And it means something. And, yeah. And marriage is important and it lasts forever. And I just, oh, it just makes me so happy that the, these books and the, these movies really push that agenda. Yeah. I really appreciated that too, especially I, I read a good bit of fiction and that's hard. That's never promoted. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to say never, but rarely. It's very, it's very rare to get mm-hmm. that message. And I mean, I, and especially with my movies, I've gotten to the point where I get excited if the main characters don't have sex because, and the most recent one, it was because they didn't have time because everyone was out to kill them. And so, you know, they didn't have time to like to do that. And, and so even though that's not a message they're promoting, when it doesn't happen, I get excited. Mm-hmm. And so this movie, for that to be an important part of the plot it was very important to both of those characters mm-hmm. i was i was i was very pleased i and it was in the book and it was in the movie and i was like yes yes <laughs> yes they kept it all in praise the lord i know it, and it's such an important message especially for the age group that are so enthralled with these books and then the reasons that they're enthralled with these books because they are romances and typically mm-hmm. when you get a young girl thinking about romance and i think that even happens to bella because she has that conversation with her father and the next scenes she's suddenly thinking about is oh yeah yeah sex i'm gonna miss yeah. out you know i better get this in before i change my life you know yeah and and so i think a lot of young girls need to get that message that it's better to wait and mm-hmm. and to make a lifelong commitment that is going to be the right uh, environment for that kind of relationship. Right. Now, did you um, catch the, I don't even think this was in the book, but when they were doing the, the stories uh, for the, for the Indians, uh, the tribe, tribal stories that yeah. Bella got to sit in on, they, in reference to the third wife, they said that she had no special powers, but one courage. And I, it just, 
I wrote it down because I thought that was such a cool statement that they counted courage as a power. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I, I, I thought that was really awesome. I don't think that that's how it was said in the book, but that's definitely kind of the, I mean, it's still the same feel, but I think coming out and saying that courage is a power is, is exciting because in, in these books, you know, you, you have these vampires and these werewolves and this and that and the other. And so you kind of get the feeling that being a human isn't cool, you know? <laughs> right. right. Because there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Right. So we're not cool. But in the end, it was the human, the third wife, who saved the day, basically. And in the fight scene at the end, it was Bella who did the dramatic action the courage and they actually changed that a little bit from the book and i thought it fit better to be honest i thought thought it fit better too i was i was pleased that they did that i was like well that's not in the book but that means bella gets to have a say in what's going on around her and i feel like that she never in the book she never really gets a say right she's pushed around a lot but in this movie she took a stand and was like no, you know, that's <laughs> and Edward enough. was actually in trouble. So her action actually saved him, which is exactly. something that in the book, she never gets to save Edward, except for at the end of New Moon. But yeah, yeah, um, she very rarely gets to save Edward. And so yeah, considering all the saving that he does, it was nice for her to have that moment where, yes, I, I have worth, I'm important, I can do something important, and I can save the person that I love the most. I found it interesting because I just very quickly looked to the Bible for courage because I knew that courage was something that was mentioned a lot in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a command that's given frequently in the early parts of the Old Testament because the the angel of the Lord would come to various characters and tell them to be of good courage. And, Mm -hmm. And in Psalms, it says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. That's Psalm 27, 14. And it just... I just thought it was just so wonderful that 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 concept of courage being an action, being something that um, makes you stand out and be somebody because you're courageous. And as Christians, we have to have courage because it's especially in this world, as we were discussing earlier, the, you know, the abstinence message, the idea of, of waiting until marriage for sex and all of these other views are so unpopular in our culture today. And sometimes it takes a lot of courage to stand out and be the person that, um, it, you know, says no <laughs> to some of this. Yeah. Stuff. So that, that was another encouraging message. Now, there was a valedictorian speech in this movie that was not in the book. Did you? I. <laughs> I had mixed feelings about this speech. I had mixed feelings about who was giving it. (laughs) Yeah, I really didn't think that the character they had as valid Victorian, that that was right. Right. Especially considering her. I just, I was like, there's no way that she managed to be valid. That's not fair. (laughs) Yeah. But. She wasn't presented in the books as being a very intelligent person, so I don't know how she managed. And, and considering you were given several options of characters who you would totally buy being the valedictorian, mm-hmm. you're like, why? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, the message itself, though, I I wasn't very 
excited about. Yeah, the, the I wrote it down just in, I, I kind of paraphrased a little bit. The basic gist of the valedictorian's address was nothing's permanent, so go out there and make as many mistakes as you can. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what kind of, I mean, I can partially understand the good advice for high school students to not be scared and not try to be perfect, that to be, you know, allow yourself to make mistakes and learn. But I'm not entirely sure that's the way it was presented. So, it, No, it was presented more like go and be reckless and that's okay. Right. It, it was playing to the side of, of teenagers that say go out and do stupid stuff right. because you're young right. and you still can as opposed to what it should have been saying don't go try to make mistakes. Try to be reasonable and rational and you know take charge of what you're doing. But if you make mistakes, that's okay. <laughs> like that, that's a huge disconnect between those two aspects, and I feel like she she was giving the wrong one. Yeah. Well, you, she's a high school student. I mean, what does she know? It's not like she, she's <laughs> not like she's actually giving an address from experience. But yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, I only have one last note, and this was, of course, the biggie. It's the conclusion of the movie. Um, Bella is having a conversation with Edward and explaining why um, she has chosen him over Jacob. And I thought it was a very interesting comment that she made. She says, it's not a choice between you and Jacob. It's a choice between who I should be and who I am. Mm -hmm. And it kind of struck me. I don't recall that actually being stated that way in the book either. There was some, a lot of comments that were made in the movie that were not in the book. Um, I think it was, I think they were trying to get her to explain, and she goes on to explain that in a little more detail, and I, I didn't write anything else more down, but she was talking about how there were two people inside of her, and one of them was the one that would go with Jacob and, and live the, the life I, I think she was that she should have been living, but she was mm -hmm. the person that she was, and the person that she was loved Edward, and so she was willing to put aside that other person. And when I heard that, it was really strange, because I I was sitting here in the movie theater. Granted, I was trying to keep my, my uh, biblical worldview glasses on a little bit because I was taking notes. And yeah. uh, the scripture that just jumped into my head was the passage in Romans where Paul is talking about the dual natures fighting each other. And right. I just thought it was, it was just, it just fits so well because that's the exact description of how we have to deal with our sinful selves when we're Christians. And so I just want to share the scripture. I, I took it out of the New Living Translation instead of the tr translations we normally deal with because it's more conversational. And this is a very convoluted passage and it's hard to follow. So mm -hmm. I decided to try something a little more conversational, a translation that's a little more conversational to make it easier to listen to. This is the passage. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God! The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And I, that just popped into my head at the end of this movie, and I, I was thrilled because it's like you're watching a movie that is totally so completely non-Christian, and to have that duality of 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 self, nature, yeah, um, it, it, it's you know revealed to me from the movie. It just it, it inspired me to to want to talk about it because that's really what it is: is we're dealing with two people inside of ourselves warring, and that's the way Bella described her love for two men pulling her apart in two different directions and she had to make a right. choice. Right. And uh, to to go along with that, not making that choice between your two natures manages to hurt everyone around you, mm-hmm. including yourself, because she put off that decision for so long and she managed to break her heart. She managed to break Edward's heart. She managed to break Jacob's heart all the bits. Yes. And, and that selfishness of not make, taking that stand and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And this is, this, this is the way I'm going to live. And by putting that decision off, she managed to hurt everyone in your life. And the same will happen when you don't daily decide, I will not be a slave to sin. I will follow Christ with all of my heart. And will I make mistakes? Yes, I will. Definitely. But I am choosing Mm-hmm. to do the right thing day in and day out. Ah. Because if you don't, you hurt everyone around you. Including yourself. Yeah. 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 It's, that's, I'm glad you agree with me because I thought that was just a, a really cool uh, commentary on the picture. I, I don't know that they intended, I, I'm not even entirely sure that Stephanie Meyer intended that kind of uh, parallel, but uh, it's, it's an I, interesting one. I, I bet that they didn't just because that is such a Christian concept and Stephanie Meyer isn't a Christian. And so I, and, and I know that I'm pretty sure that with most of the themes and all in her books, she was just writing good fiction. Well, she was just writing fiction mm-hmm. and so the themes that come out just, you know, are naturally coming out of her, but it is always really exciting to be able to use the culture and what's popular in the culture um, and, and use it as a standing off point to talk about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like Paul did when he was in Athens and he says, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every respect and that there's this plaque over here that says to an unknown God. And by using the horrifically pagan and un- completely different culture around him, he was able to witness to hundreds and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's important to be able to go, okay, do you have to read Twilight? Do you have to see the movies? No. But when you think about what you're seeing and and you really consider what it's saying, it is possible to pick out and find truth in the culture around us and to be able to use that as a point to say, okay, you know this, really well. So I'm going to turn it on its head a little bit so you can look at it differently so that you can understand what I'm trying to say. 
You can even use anti-truths. It's like pulling out people, the things they're saying that are the complete opposite of what the truth would be and then using that as a sounding board to tell them what the, the truth is. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm glad you were available to call in from Seattle and discuss this with yeah. us. I don't know whether well, any of our live listeners have any comments to make. Nope. Okay. So, obviously, they're just listening in and enjoying us talking. <laughs> hopefully enjoying us talking <laughs> yeah we hope so um if they have feedback or any of our listeners at any time that you listen to this want to give us feedback we have a email address you can email it to us the feed it's called feedback at noodle.mx it's changed slightly from um some of our previous episodes uh so that is again feedback at noodle.mx the phone call phone number that you can call is 859-353-4332 and you can actually leave us a voice message that we could then play on another podcast at some further future date when we do feedback again you can also leave comments on our website and it's are you just watching.com ir11 and <laughs> hmm Oh, slash. Oh, Daniel is, is coaching me from off mic. It is areyoujustwatching.com slash IR11. And we just love to have your comments. Uh, do remember uh, that when you come to visit that you can click on any link that we have to books or movies and go to amazon.com to buy them. We are an affiliate with amazon.com. So if you buy something from them, uh, a portion of that uh, comes back to us. It doesn't cost you anything and it gives us a little bit of um, spending money to work on and keeping our equipment up to date. And we just appreciate it when people, you know, give us that little bit of a hint of appreciation for what we do. We just thank you so much for joining us. And uh, this has just been a wonderful time to chat with Chris. And glad to have you back with us, Chris. Yeah, I was really glad I could join you today. I'm Eve Franklin, and thank you for watching. And you're listening. <laughs> Twilight Modern Warfare 2. That's all I'm going to say. He brought his voice back in. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching? is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. The opening vocal talent is thanks to Mariah. Our theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis from their exciting Vacation Bible School curriculum, Operation Space, which you can find at AnswersVBS.com. Find more great clean podcasts like this one at cleancasts.com. <laughs>